If you would take your Bibles and would you join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I'm grateful for the choir and for the music ministry. And not only that, this particular week has been a, uh, has been a busy one when it comes to, um, we, we had a funeral of, uh, of a longtime beloved member of our church uh, on Thursday, and then we had a Good Friday service. And just seeing how everyone um, just has come together to make sure that everyone is welcomed and, and the hospitality is just, uh, just top-notch. Where I'm just so thankful for all of you that... Um, that kicked in for that and to be able to help with that. And uh, as we come to our, the end of Holy Week, we are reminded of this great day that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is more than enough. So I'm going to ask you if you would one more time, at least for now, to stand as we look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. We do this in honor of His Word. And it says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. So as we come together on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to just remind you of something I said earlier, is that this is an extraordinary day, but this is also an aspect where this is a very ordinary day. It's extraordinary because, again, the calendar says this is Easter, and the world looks at it and remembers, and they celebrate in a lot of different ways. We celebrate in a lot of different ways, but we must not miss the point of what our Resurrection Sunday is all about. And we do this every single Sunday because every single week we meet on the first Sunday of the week out of conviction that this was the day that Christ arose on the first day of the week. But what is a resurrection? I think it's good for us to make sure that we have our terms clear because sometimes when we begin to talk about a resurrection, sometimes people think it's maybe just a spiritual resurrection or just a resurrection of memory. You know, we want to keep them alive you know, if they're gone, but what we, what we need to realize is what the resurrection is. D.A. Carson helps us. He says, by resurrection, I do not mean something like living forever in a spirit existence or the like, but living again bodily, in a bodily mode after the body has died, coming back from the dead in real bodies, but ultimately transformed bodies. That's the hope that we have. And if you read later on in 1 Corinthians, you see that reality. You see the reality of the fact that this particular deal for us is the hope that we have. Well, the reason that 1 Corinthians 15 was written was because of something very simple. Is that while there were a few people in the church who believed the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, there was a concern that 
they were beginning to preach something far different. And what they were preaching was simply this, is that we're not going to need to be raised from the dead. We as the resurrection of the saints, it doesn't need to happen to us. And the Apostle Paul is saying, oh my, but it does. Very simply is that if there's no resurrection of the saints and there's no resurrection of us, then reality means that there's no resurrection of Christ. And if there is no raised Savior, if there's no raised Lord, then we have no faith. And if we recognize the importance of the resurrection, that the Bible is not simply there to give us some good moral code to live by, but that the cornerstone and the key of our Christian faith is a risen Savior and Lord, when we get there, then we begin to realize the true understanding of what Christianity is all about. Thomas Watson gives the hope to Christian that we are more sure to rise out of our graves than out of our beds. That's the reality of the resurrection. Because if Jesus is alive, then that gives us hope. We may not rise out of our beds, but we will one day rise out of our graves. This is who Jesus is. And so when we begin to look at this, there's five reasons why Christ's resurrection matters. So let's get to work and take a look and see what this is all about. Number one, it means that he's alive. And you you may want to just verbally say, well, duh, of course, if Christ's resurrection, if that's a reality, then of course it means that he is alive. But think about that. When you think about the brutality that Jesus went through and the fact that he was raised to life, it is an amazing reality to consider, and it's a life-changing reality. If you look Here again, in verses 12 and 13, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. It logically follows that Christ has not been raised. How important is this? Well, if you look at verses 1 and 2, it says, now I would remind you, brothers, of, of the same chapter, by the way, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, Okay, so this gospel is preached. This gospel is something that needs to be received. It's a gospel in which you stand, and it's a gospel by which you are being saved. Now you say, wait a minute. In my Baptist lane, I've already been saved if I'm a Christian. He's talking to Christians about how they are needing to be saved. Well, I want to remind you of a story. I shared this on Wednesday night, but I want to remind you of a story about how this young man came up to this British evangelist, and this young man was trying to uh, win this British evangelist to Christ. He didn't know it was a British evangelist. And he walks up to this man and he says, Sir, is you saved? Well, what do you mean? Well, is you saved? Well, which do you mean? Do you mean whether I have been saved? Do you mean whether I am being saved? Or do you mean that I will be saved? Because when we've come to Christ, we have, the, the, we have been justified. The penalty of our sin has been removed. But after, we have, after that has happened, we are living a life to where we are being saved, where the things that don't belong to the body of Christ and the person of Christ are being kicked out. It's called sanctification. And then one day, we will be saved, not just from the penalty of sin and not just from the power of sin now. One day, we are going to be saved from the presence of sin. No longer will we have to deal with that anymore. I can't imagine that day, but I long for it. Just a few more weary days and then, right? That's what we're talking about with that old song, that old hymn, is that we are now, we will no longer have to deal 
with those issues. But you look at verse 3. Paul says, I delivered this to you as of first importance. If you are going to a church that denies the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it's not a church because they are denying the very thing that is of first importance. If you as a, say you are a Christian and you are saying, I don't need to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in order to be a Christian, you have denied what the scriptures have been saying about that which is of first importance. The Bible is not merely, you know, biblical, you know, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's more than just instructions on how to live. It's about connecting to the one who is life itself, Christ. And we have to recognize this. And if, if you look further on where it talks about, I delivered this to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then it goes on to say how he appeared to Cephas, and he appeared to the Twelve, and he appeared to 500, some of or, which are still alive. And Paul says, go talk to them. And he appeared to James, his half-brother, and then he appeared to Paul. And, if you, and all of these people, all of these people were either hiding, denying, or as Paul was, Paul was trying to eradicate Christianity itself from the face of the earth. Every single one of these people, when they saw Jesus alive, were changed. Michael Kruger, who is a a wonderful theologian, he says that sometimes when we talk about the resurrection, we're spending all of this time talking about, you know, making arguments about the veracity of the resurrection. And then, so where there's arguments, there's counter arguments about people who don't believe in the resurrection. And what he says is this, is that we miss one key item. The earliest Christians came to believe against all odds and against all expectations that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. And there was a change. You may remember what Chuck Colson said uh, a, a number of years ago after he came to Christ. He was Nixon's hatchet man, and he was caught up in Watergate. And he was saying, I, the, one of the reasons that I believe in the resurrection is that these men who one time were scared and were afraid of the Roman authorities were now willing to die. We couldn't keep, in this Watergate scandal, we couldn't keep alive for three weeks. If it was truly a lie, how could they keep it for 40 years? Well, they didn't. And, and, and people don't die for a lie. At least they, they, they shouldn't. But people usually do not die for a lie. You have to consider the change that took place in these men. And you have to consider the change that may have been taking place in someone that's sitting right beside you. How 2,000 years later, someone who lived in a little area of land in the Middle East has completely changed our lives. We're sitting here on a Sunday morning hearing the preaching of the Word of God because we believe in what has happened. And that's why we become a family together because we're all together, joined together in following who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, that's number one. It means that he's alive, right? Got it? Number two is that our faith has meaning and purpose. Our faith has meaning and purpose. Look at verse 14 where it says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So when we talk about the word in vain, Merriam-Webster Dictionary helps us, out, helps us with that. It means to be without success or result, futile, ineffectual. So again, this shows the foundational aspects of the resurrection. No resurrection, no faith, 
and the preaching that even I'm doing right now, the preaching that is done all over the world, the preaching that is being done week after week after week, sometimes multiple times a week, would be a colossal waste of time. We wouldn't call it preaching anymore. We would call it a motivational talk. And there is a difference between a motivational talk and a preaching of the Word of God. A motivational talk tells you to draw upon the strength of yourself to be able to fulfill whatever destiny you may have. Preaching the Word of God says there is nothing in you that you can bring to God to say, look at me. But we bring Christ. And Christ is the one. It's the one that sets us free and the one that puts his death and what he did to our account. So our preaching is not in vain if Christ is alive. We're not, we're not doing a waste, it's not a waste of time, not only my preaching about the faith, but your faith. And when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about some subjective, you know, drumming up of belief and I can do it, faith, I believe, I really do. What we're talking about here is the content of the gospel, the content of the word of God. And that means that it's in vain because what's happening is they're saying that Christ is going to be alive. But if Christ is not alive, then everything that's said in this book, it's nothing. There's nothing to it. So it's not talking about just your personal faith. When God called me into ministry, and I've shared this a little bit with you before, but if you happen to be new, um, I was a youth pastor. I was, gosh, I guess 28, 29, 30 years old. And I was a youth pastor, and I was taking some youth to a, a, a conference, Infuge, up in the uh, University of Mobile in Mobile, Alabama, and I can take you right to the spot. I'm reading Rick Ferguson's book on the, the servant principle, and it was like God just said, he said five words. Now, you said God talked to you. Yeah, he did, and no one is more surprised that that happened than, than I was because it wasn't like it was an audible voice. It was louder than that, and he said just five words. I want you to preach, okay? I knew what that meant, but, you know, Preach what? Well, I knew, what, I knew who was calling me. I want you to preach Christ and him crucified. I want you to preach Christ. I want you to preach. And so for, that in, for the entirety of my life, I have devote, been, I've devoted this, not because it's something where it's like, boy, I hope people look at me like it's not anything like that at all. It was a compulsion. I had to do it. I couldn't do anything else. It was, I, I, I was wrecked. I was done. Jeremiah, you know, I, he said he had this fire in his bones and he couldn't deny it. He tried and I ran for about 18 months because I saw what pastors went through. I, I did. I saw what pastors went through. I, I liked being on staff where, I, where if someone came up to me to, with a hard question, I could always say, you know, I don't know the answer, but the pastor's right over there. <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's like, I can't do that. Now people are pointing at me, telling people to come and talk to me about certain things. But it's the preaching. It's the preaching of the contents of the word of God that brings life. And that's the faith that you hold. And I am here to be that CRO, that, that chief reminding officer of you every single week about the contents of this book and how they bring you life. And how if you deviate from it, it won't be good. If you, but if you stick with it and you stick with Christ, it'll be tough. You'll be persecuted. People will ridicule you. But he'll be on your side. And with him, one's a majority. And how glorious is that? So that's where we have to realize. Number three, we are truthful about what God has done. So when we look at this, verse 15, 
We are even, now remember, if Christ has not been raised, that's the idea, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So if Christ is alive, then we are telling the truth about who he is and about what he has done. In Romans, Paul writes that the spirit of him, Romans 8, 11, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. That's one of hundreds of places in the New Testament that talk about Jesus being alive. He's alive. But if he's not alive and he's not dwelling, in, then he's not dwelling in you, then you are not only not rescued, but we have been lying about who God is. If you go to Revelation 1, in verses 17 and 18, well, right before then, uh, John is talking about what the resurrected Christ looks like in all of his glory. And he looks very different from the one who was walking and talking on those three years in the Middle East. But when John saw him, the reaction was this. When I saw him, this is verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades, death and hell. He's alive. So even Jesus, so they were communicating something about even something that Jesus said about him being alive. So this would, have been a, this would have been a high treason, high error if they were missing out on this. But that wasn't what happened. That wasn't what happened. Jesus is alive. And therefore, we are telling the truth to you about all that God has done in this. The entirety of the New Testament represents this. Number four, we are rescued from our sins. If Christ is alive and you have trusted in Christ, you have been rescued from your sins. It's true. Look at what it says here. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, which we've talked about, being in vain. And you are still in your sins. That's one of the comforts and the hopes that we have as followers of Jesus is that we have been rescued from the very sins that separated us from God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we've done. That's the paycheck. The wages of sin is death. Now, we will all physically die. Last Thursday, we were reminded we are all going to physically die regardless of the faith that we have in Christ. We are all one day going to physically die, but there's more than one type of death. Again, being reminded if you were born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. If you've only been born in this way, but you have not been born again, then you will die being separated from God from all of eternity as the trajectory was set here in this life because you've been separated from him here. But if you have trusted in Christ, you've been born, you've been born again, you'll die once, but you won't die twice. You will be with him forever, just as he is with you now, in part. He will be, you will be with him in whole, on the whole one day. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him. By baptism and the death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Because Christ is alive and we are in Christ, we are alive. And we have been rescued from our sins. It doesn't mean we're going to stop sinning. What it means is, is that those sins are not going to be held against us anymore. He's taken them on himself. He bore the penalty that we deserve to die. And he gave to us the life that he himself is living. And that's what we have to realize. When we looked at uh, some things on Good Friday, one of the things that came up was that the sacrificial system was constantly a reminder of sins. It's, a, it's constantly a reminder that we are sinners. Now, maybe we, we didn't grow up in that particular system per se, but is there a thing out there that reminds us that we are still in our sins and that we're still sinners? Turn on the evening news. You turn on the evening news, you hear about war, you see things about poverty, homelessness, inflation, um, an insanity of thinking, both sides of the aisle. You see that there is a division in this country that is really, I believe, unmatched in our history. There's, there's mental illness that is happening. There is suicides that are taking place at an alarming rate, murder, racial tensions, political tensions, and we could go on and on and on and on. Now, we all disagree about one thing. We all disagree about a number of things, but we all agree about one thing, is that all of us will look at the world and we will all agree that the world is absolutely and unequivocally broken. The world's a mess. Now, we have all sorts of reasons and all sorts of solutions, we think, to how this world will get fixed. But, I mean, you turn on the evening news and it's just one thing after another. How many of you have just stopped watching the news? Okay, some of you tore a rotator cuff raising your hand. Amen, right? So you, sometimes you just quit watching the news. I used to get little notifications from, you know, not only here in the country, but sometimes like BBC would come up and every time, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh goodness, oh wow, wow. Okay, um, mute notifications and that's, and that's what I ended up having to do. But, but just because I am muting the notifications and I quit watching the evening news, I can just, I can not only look at the things around me, I can look at the one in the mirror and be reminded. I don't get it all right all the time either. In my speech, in my thinking, in my actions, I don't get it right all the time. We live in a broken world, and the fact that there would be no hope of being rescued from that brokenness would almost be too much to bear. Now, some try to find other ways to get out of that brokenness, right? You know, if I get married then, you know, if I get married and have a family, then all of my problems are going to go away. Well, you may have just traded one set for another set of, not problems and marriage challenges, (laughs) but not, but, you know, because you have one sinner marrying another sinner, and you realize that there's going to be, there can be some tensions in the best of marriages. Oh, well, if I, if I get my dream job, well, you may not have that dream boss, you may not have that dream project. You, you may be on the low end of things for a long, long time. And those expectations, you, it just takes the air out of the room for you. And on and on, all these expectations, all these things. When I was teaching the, the youth this morning, it was one of those things where, you know, there, there's an excitement about what the next chapter is. But in that next chapter, it may not be how we built it up. And so what do you do? I cannot imagine going from chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter in this broken world without knowing that there is a hope that lies outside of this world. 
And, and if that's where you are, I, I understand where you are because you may be thinking, well, this isn't going to work, so I'll try this and I'll try this. But if you're, what, what, the, what the scriptures are asking me to do and denying myself and denying all of that, I, I'm out. I just want you to just continue to think about what the hope that Jesus has. And even if you don't receive him now, I pray that God is going to continue to remind you that your hope has to ha- be something that transcends this world because you're not going to find it here. You are not going to find it here. And again, I say, you are not going to find it here. So if we are ones where there is no resurrection of Christ, we're still in our sins, we're still in our brokenness, and we have absolutely, positively no hope. Let's flip it on its its, its inside out, right? Jesus is alive. And where there is a resurrected Savior, there is a resurrected hope. Where there's a resurrected Savior, there is a reality of a hope that transcends anything that this world can throw at you. Yeah, it'll be hard, it'll be tough, tough to absorb, but you'll be able to because you're not doing it by yourself. You have one on whom you stand and who you hold fast to. And it's not about how hard you hold fast to him, but it's how he's holding you. He holds you. Know that. And number five. Christ is alive, dear Christian. We are the most hopeful people on the planet. And it's not even close. Not even close. We are the most hopeful people on the planet. Where it talks about, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, In verse 18, it says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. If we have hope in this life alone, we are of most people all, uh, we're the ones that are being pitied the most. But if Christ is alive, then we have the most hope of anybody on the planet. We have to see this. Now, some people pity Christians. Some people laugh at the message of Christ. They can't, they can't help themselves. But I tell you, I ask you this. Yes, you may be laughing at us, and you may be pitying us for believing in the resurrection. I ask you this, I almost, and I say this to you, I almost pity you that you believe that this is the only hope that you have. Because what hope is there to be found ultimately that will not end in destruction? That will not end in some sort of disablement? We have to recognize what Jesus has said here. Jesus being alive makes people the most hopeful people on the planet because we know that he is alive and what he is doing. And what he is doing in this world is continually bringing people more and more into trust and and faith in him. And we see the hope that comes. And that's why I don't understand Christians who are grumpy. I don't understand Christians that are gossipy. I don't understand Christians that talk down about one another. I don't understand Christians that talk down about other churches. I don't understand Christians that have to be number one in the room. I don't understand Christians when... When we're, when, when we're looking at things with, that all of a sudden it's like, I don't like that because it's not going my way. That's not living 
with a hope that's a trajectory to eternity. That's living with a hope that's now because you're wanting things to go your way and to be on your path. Listen, Christians, we need to be the most hopeful, joyful people on the planet because we've got to get off of ourselves. The Bible talks about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We have to remember what this means. Jeff Thomas, he said one time that heaven means Jesus Christ. That is being with Jesus. That is the only heaven there is. It is Christ's home, and he is never away from his home for a moment. If you think about heaven and Jesus comes up fourth or fifth, you may be missing the point. I can't wait to go to heaven because I get to see this, and I get to do this, and I get to be like this. Where's Jesus? Heaven is Jesus, and Jesus is heaven. So that's why we can say heaven is here. We are, we are here because Jesus is here among us. Don't be just waiting for the by and by. Jesus and heaven are here with us even now. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, oh, oh, he holds the future. We're getting ready to sing that song. You'll see why I did that. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I, I don't know um, the, the reasons why God brought you here this morning. You say, well, God didn't bring me here this morning. My mom and dad, my, my grandparents brought me here. My, my, you know, my grandkids brought me here. I, 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 God, we believe that God puts us where we need to be. And for whatever reason, God may have needed you to hear this, not because of any skill of anything that any of us have up here, but because it's the Word of God, and we're simply here delivering the mail. And we're praying that the Holy Spirit moves and opens up your heart to be able to receive this, and, the, and, the, and that your Spirit opens up your mind to be able to receive this, because this is not something that any of us in our nature receive on our own. And your hope may be in, a, in, a, in an activity that you did a long time ago. But let me ask you this. What is Christ meaning in your life right now? Are you dabbling in this and dabbling in this and dabbling in this with a kind of a smorgasbord mentality of spirituality? Don't do that. Because all those things will lead you away from the very one that is intended to bring you life. We had a funeral this Thursday. And the key passage was this. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who believes in me and lives in me will never die. And then there was that question that Jesus asked Martha. And it's a question that Jesus asks us. Four words. Do you believe this? Do you? If you do, say amen. Those of you that may not quite be there yet, I am praying that the Holy Spirit helps you to understand more and more about what this is all about. This is not simply just a side hobby. This is not a laughing matter. This is something that is of great, great seriousness. I hope that you will see how this is of first importance. Jesus died for your sins, and he was buried, but he is now alive forevermore. And may that be the very thing, regardless of whatever chapters may be coming along in our lives. May that be the very thing that sustains us through all of those chapters and even into eternity. But the trajectory is set right now. Right now counts forever, R.C. Sproul says. Have you trusted in Christ? 
Well, let's make this the morning. Let's make this a resurrection Sunday, not just for what Christ did 2,000 years ago, but that you would be brought to life from the dead even now. Let's make this a resurrection Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have because Jesus is alive. And thank you, Lord, for helping us not only to be hopeful, but to also be joyful disciples of Jesus. Father, I pray that as we continue to move forward in what you've called us to do, that wherever chapter we may find ourselves, that, Lord, we would see how Jesus is more than enough for us because he is alive and with us and interceding for us. And one day he's going to come again. If Jesus wasn't alive, we wouldn't have the hope of him coming again to set up his kingdom to where we may be a part of that. Father, help us, Lord. Move in us. And may the reality of the song that we're getting ready to sing be a reality for our lives as well. Help us, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you want to use